Amen. Thanks, guys. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Tonight we're going to continue talking about the life and the work of Jesus. As I mentioned last week, uh, throughout the summer, we're going to just go through a bunch of different teachings from Jesus, both parables and and narratives, uh, and just sort of look at what Jesus is commanding his disciples to do and what's most important in this life. Uh, And tonight, uh, we're going to be reading in Mark chapter 2. So, We're going to read the first 13 verses. Um, I'm just kidding. We're going to read the first 17 verses. And uh, we're going to start in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 17. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So I've titled this sermon, Friends and Sinners, and you'll see why. It's pretty obvious. You know, Jesus in his life does not distinguish necessarily between those inside and those outside, those some might consider a sinner and those some might consider a friend. You know, and what's interesting about this is we're, we're much more quick to draw these lines. You know, I, I was talking uh, to a friend recently about this, you know, and in the U.S., It's not as much of a problem here. I think it's the opposite a little bit. But in the U.S., I grew up, and once I became a Christian, I've shared this before about music, you know, but but the church sort of said, you need to only do Christian things and only be around Christian people, and your your, your friends from church need to be your same friends you spend all your time with, and, and just make sure you're surrounding yourself with Christians all the time. 
And I had a conversation with someone who grew up in a similar environment all the way through college and even after college. And he said he'd always only ever had Christian friends. And once he became an adult and sort of got out into the real world, he, he, he said it felt sort of awkward. He, he didn't really know how to have non-Christian friends, how to have normal conversations about faith and what he believed. You know, and, and for some of you, it may actually be the opposite. You know, you've never really had Christian friends. You never really fit in with the Christian crowd. You know, your faith is yours, and that's good, and you worship God, but when it comes to social settings, when it comes to your day-to-day life, your Monday through Saturday, you just sort of keep your faith inside. And, and when I read this story in Mark chapter 2, you know, like I mentioned last week, the gospel writers are not all the exact same story because they were telling different things about Jesus with a different emphasis. And I think Mark puts these two together for a very important distinction. We need to have a balance in both, because I believe Jesus did. You know, if you look at the first five verses of Mark chapter 2, we know this story. Many of us have heard this story, right? There's the guy on the mat, and he can't really do anything. Jesus has already by this time become famous around the land, and people hear he's preaching, and he's saved, and done amazing miracles already. If you read Mark chapter 1, he was healing people all over the place. And, and so these, these men, they hear, hey, this Jesus guy heals people. What if we took our friend? What if we took this guy that can't do anything to see him? And so, you know, they, they, they decide to, to pick up and, and take him there. But when they get there, as the story goes, there's no room. The house is full. People are pouring outside the door. You can picture the scene. You know, people are poking their head, trying to get a glimpse, you know, trying to listen. And this man who wanted to see Jesus needed his friends. Four unnamed men who who one day I actually really look forward to meeting in heaven, I think, play an intricate role in this story, and we know nothing about them. But they all too believed. I mean, you would have to believe that Jesus could actually heal, right? To, to, to destroy someone's home? To destroy someone's home on behalf of a paralytic? You would have to believe. And, and these men knew that if they took this person to see Jesus, he could be healed. And I read this and I think this is what we all need. We need friends around us who believe. We need friends around us who say, hey, let me help you. You know, Jeff Anhut, one of, our, one of the elders on our council, always talks about this. And one of the phrases he always uses is, Christians, we need to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And if you're not familiar with the New Testament or the story in the book of Acts, Paul would be like a mentor. You know, we need to have a Christian who's older, who we can go to and, and learn from. We need to have a Barnabas in our life who, who was an encouragement. That's what his name means, encourager. A, a colleague or a friend that can, that can lift us up when we're feeling down. And we need to have a Timothy who played the role of Paul's disciple. Someone who Paul imparted his knowledge to. Do you have these people? Do you have Christians in your life who you can rely on? Someone to learn from. Someone to encourage and be encouraged by. And then someone younger who you can go and teach the things you have learned. You know, and if you have those three things in your life, that's a pretty good start. Add one more, and then you have a nice four that can carry you through a roof if you need to. And and I don't want to go too heavy into this, because this sermon is not necessarily about mentoring. 
But think about your Christian relationships. Do you have these things? Do you have people in your life who know you and know your faith? You know, and just so you're aware, we're actually working on this currently at IPC right now. Jeff and I, this elder I mentioned, are beginning to talk about ways and systems that we can connect more. That we can pair people intergenerationally and within the church to learn from one another. You know, I talked to many people who were at the, the marriage seminar we had a few weeks ago, and a lot of younger couples said it was just nice meeting some of the older couples in church. And, and the same from some of the older couples. Yeah, hey, it was great meeting this young couple. You know, why is that not normal? <laughs> you know, and, and not to advertise too much, but hey, coming to the church on the lake next week is a great start. Come and meet new people and talk and share a little bit of life and get to know one another. We need Christian friends in our life. And if you look at the story here, the story actually turns away a little bit from this man. Yes, Jesus not only forgives his sins and heals him, but then the story sort of shifts from verses 6 to 12 to Jesus dealing with the authorities. And as it usually goes in the Gospels, when Jesus does something, he has critics. And we see in the story that these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, sort of say, who does this guy think he is? I mean, how could this man, this rabbi, say to someone that his sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And what does Jesus answer? He says, hey, now let me, I'm going to go back so I get it exactly right. He says, let me show you my authority. Let me remind you of the authority given to me by God. If you look at verse 8 and 9, he says, what are you, why are you thinking these things? Well, what's easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man, as we talked about last week, has authority. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He says, what's easier? You're worrying about me forgiving this man's sins, and yet you're missing that I have come to do this very thing. I mean, think about it. Early on in Jesus' ministry, he came to forgive sins, and here he is doing it plainly. And the, the Pharisees say, how in the world can you do this? And Jesus just one-ups him and shows him, listen, do you guys even get why I'm here? I mean, look what happens in this story when we live in relationship, when we put ourselves in places to see God's goodness because of the people around us. You know, I want you to think about this. I mean, this event would not have happened now. Surely God could have healed this man and God could have done this, but, but in this story, this event happens because of the faith of these four friends to say, I believe that Jesus can do this. These are the sort of things that happen when we trust in these relationships. You know, just this week, I have a friend, uh, and I didn't ask permission to share this story, so I'll keep the name and details private, but a friend of mine in recent months has been going through a really hard time. He's going through a really hard time, and we've talked a little bit here and there. And, and then this friend has decided to, to open up to me, to be really honest. You know, to just be totally honest about struggles and pain and, and, and difficulties happening in life. And this person didn't just go to me, but they went to other people as well. And they shared, and they were open and honest about all the stuff going on in their life. And we prayed, and we waited. And we prayed, and we waited. And then the things we prayed for didn't actually happen, and the opposite happened. And then things got worse and worse and worse. 
And I remember having a phone conversation with this person and just saying, I know this stinks. And that's it. But over some time, some things started to change. God started to do something that was totally different than this person had planned. And then last week, we were sitting together talking and smiling and laughing that, that over time, because this person was willing to share their struggles, this person was willing to go out and be honest about what they were going through, that their story was encouraging me. I happened to be having a really bad day for a number of other things that was going on in my life. And here I am sitting across from, from a person in Christ who shared their struggles with me. And because they were being, going through something good, I was then encouraged. And I began to see the goodness of God. Think of what those four friends would have felt like to see this actually happen. Think of how happy you would have been that you actually decided to go out on a limb and do something for a friend. And everything's not perfect. You know, all of our problems don't vanish when this happens. But when we decide to share life with one another, we begin to see the things God is doing. And if it's not happening in our life, then maybe we'll see it in a friend. When we share life, we see God working all around us. Because this is honestly one of the most common things I hear as a pastor is, I just don't see God. Where is God in this? The answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Every one of us has a different situation. Every one of us has a different life. But when we live together in community, when we don't see God in our life, maybe we'll be encouraged by a brother or sister who does. Maybe we'll have a friend come and say something to us at just the right moment. Send us a nice note at just the right moment. Pray for us at just the right time. And then we begin to see how God is working, and we then have encouragement. We then have perseverance for the future. And then what's amazing about it is when we live in community and when we share life, the other community sees it. People outside begin to see it. Everyone in that room saw this exchange, saw the faith of the men on the roof, saw the faith of the paralytic, and it says that they were amazed. There will be some who criticize, just like with Jesus. But when I think about those four people, think about it. One of them may have had a fight with his wife that morning and had a bad day. One of them may have had a sick child at home. One of them might be struggling looking for work. One of them might have an injury that plagued them. We have no idea what was happening in their life. But here was this event which I'm sure they could all point to days, months, years later and say, God is good because we did this thing and we helped this person. See, relationships, Christian relationships, encourage us to do what is right. And when we struggle, we learn that we can rely on others and our friends. And in the same way we need friends, we also need sinners in our life. And now I say that very dramatically because we are all sinners, right? We all need forgiveness. But these are how the two are labeled in the text. If you look at Mark chapter 2, the passage we just read, it's very clear there are these four friends. And then there are these sinners, In verses 13 to 17, Jesus comes up to a tax collector and he says, hey, you need to come follow me. And Levi, as we read, says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so they do. And that night he's dining at his house and there's a lot of people there. And the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they label these people sinners. 
And in verse 16, they ask his disciples, notice they don't ask Jesus, right? They're too scared. They're like, hey, we know this guy's kind of powerful. We know this guy's got a lot going on. So we're not going to ask him. We're going to ask his disciples kind of secretly. Why is he eating with these people? Like, what's he trying to prove? But of course, Jesus knows this. He, he knows in his heart their purpose. And he says this line in verse 17 that I am just so grateful for. He says this line in verse 17, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, this morning, we had a Sunday school graduation. Uh, Students, 11, 12 years old, sort of graduating through our Sunday school program. And and we had them all standing up on on the front of the church and... Uh, had a little prayer for them, and then they went and had like graduation celebration. They get a Bible with their name on it and everything. And, and, and the Sunday school teachers, uh, Kelly and Esther, they, they prayed a prayer over them and sort of encouraged them with some scripture. And I was just thinking, gosh, this is why. You know, these kids, unfortunately, is, 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 you guys know me, I'm a bit of a crier. I was holding back tears up there because I was looking at all of these children, and I was thinking, gosh, some of them are just going to make horrible mistakes. And let's be honest, right? They're not all going to live perfect lives. They're not all going to do everything the way Scripture tells them to. And they're going to experience pain, and they're going to experience loss, and they're going to experience hurt. But then I was thinking about this verse that that is just why Christ came. So that when these children mess up, when they do something they shouldn't do, that God is right there for them. And when I read this passage, I am just so reminded by this. Who in the world... Was Je- I am so grateful Jesus said this. How special is this? That when we feel like we're not good enough, we feel like we've let everyone down around us. When we have that moment where honestly, and I've even been here as a pastor, we don't even want to go to church because we're afraid that the shame will be overwhelming just sitting and worshiping. And Jesus says, no, I, I, I came for that reason. I didn't come because I want you to be perfect. I came because I want you to be honest. And when we talk about imitating Jesus and living like Jesus, we see that he was friends with all kinds of people. All kinds of people like us. All kinds of people with issues like ours. And the only people he put up a wall and got really angry with was the religious, proud, arrogant people who said, You're sinners. Jesus loved everyone who was humble and came to him to talk. One of the only people Jesus gets really short-tempered with is the religious elite and his own disciples for not understanding. And if, if people were willing to listen to him, if people were willing to talk with him, if people had humility, he would always welcome and dine and talk with these people. Let us, uh, let us be reminded that we are all in the same boat, that we all need Jesus, and that we are all sick. And this is our model, then, of treating the world. This is our model of going out from this place and caring for the world. Yet, as Christians, I have found we tend to do one or the other. We either isolate with other Christians and sort of try to uh, make everything better and, and surround ourselves and keep, you know, Christians all around us all the time, or we may be more prone to hiding our faith. We may be more prone to living out in the world and just sort of, 
yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just sort of, yeah, I'm, you know, someone, are you, you know, you're, you go to church, right? You're, you're like really religious? Well, I'm not really religious, you know, I just sort of go, you know, I grew up this way. You know, we try to minimize it or say something like that. I really believe when I read the Gospels that Christ wants us to be in the middle. You know, as, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be in the world and not of the world. How do we do this? You know, one distinction I really want to make that's really important is from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and I've mentioned this before. Uh, it's been really helpful for me in my Christian life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character, or bad company corrupts good morals. It's 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. And what's interesting about this, actually, is you'll notice in your Bible... If you don't have it open, that's fine. It's actually quoted. It says, bad company corrupts good character, and it's quoted. And usually in the Bible, you think maybe he's quoting the Old Testament. Maybe it's a psalm. Maybe it's a proverb. But if you look down, it doesn't have anything here. It's really interesting. And if you look it up in a commentary or a study Bible or something, and actually he's quoting a Greek playwright. He's quoting a famous Greek philosopher, and this was common wisdom of the time, not even in the church. It's kind of fascinating. And what Paul is basically saying is he's drawing on something that people agreed with. Listen, if you look for wisdom and you're looking for this stuff in life, you need to remember that we need to have proper boundaries. So when I say we need to live in the middle and spend time with non-Christians as well as Christians, keep in mind that Jesus hung out with tax collectors, but he didn't go around collecting taxes with them, right? Okay? You need to know as Christians your boundaries with these things. You know, so, so what I would say... Is when you have these things, when we talk about this balance, these friends and sinners, how do we balance living in the world and having Christian friends and non-Christian friends and this thing? You need to have people in your life you can talk to and know these things, but then also people who you can go and love like Christ, who do not lead you to anything that you should not be doing. This is our calling, and it's actually proved by Jesus again many times over, but the story of the Good Samaritan we all know. Right, that this person who's supposed to be an enemy of the Samaritan goes, or the enemy supposed goes and helps this the person on the side of the road. And the reason why is this. You know, one of the things God's been teaching me, and I'm going to be really honest, in the last couple of years in my life, you know, when I when I went to seminary, I thought I had everything figured out. Right, nothing more. Nothing more scary than a 20-something-year-old with a theology degree who thinks he knows everything. Um, and, and God did some really interesting things in my life. But one of the things he did is he exposed me to a lot of circles of people I wouldn't have normally been around. Um, and, and I began to see that the reason people don't want to hear about Jesus and the reason people struggle to go to church is because they've been hurt by the church. Initially, I thought, well, hey, I just need to have the right argument, right? If I have the right understanding and the right apologetic logic and reasoning, surely anyone will come to church based on my evidence. I mean, why not? I've read so many books. And then I began talking with people. And then I look at Scripture and I realize this is exactly what Jesus did. He began talking with people and sitting, having a meal with someone, and actually taking time to get to know somebody. And I began to realize, wow, do you know how many people have been hurt by the church? Do you know how many people have been labeled sinners by the church and thought, nah, I don't want to go back there. 
It's too shameful. It's too painful. It's too many scars. And it even happens to us. How many times have you been looked down upon by someone at church because of a decision you've made? Have you ever gone to church and thought, I really hope that person's not there because I cannot handle their condescending looks. I cannot handle their condescending comments. I cannot handle that person's, oh, I'll pray for you. I used to never share prayer requests in church. I remember going to church and and having these small groups and and all of these guys, and, and it's like the false righteousness prayer request, right? Oh, I just, I need prayer so I can read my Bible more. I'm thinking, that's your biggest problem? You're not reading your Bible enough? You know? <laughs> or, or, oh, I need prayer because I just, I feel like I could, I could share my faith more. I mean, these are your biggest prayer requests? I mean, I got a dirty laundry list of sins that is so deep and it is so ugly and I am so ashamed to share it. But remember, Christ came for the sick not the righteous. And that we as Christians, our job is to be agents of healing and that we ought to prepare ourselves to love one another. Having the logical arguments is good. I love reading those things. Having, having sound logic is wonderful. But consider the world today. Consider the wounds of the world today. I mean, think about things like human sexuality and gender issues and how many people have been hurt by the language of the church Think about things like anti-Muslim or anti-Semitic or anti-any other religious views and why people think Christians are bigoted and hateful because of the language of the church labeling them sinners before they even know their name. Think about people with problems of addiction, how hard it is for them to come into a church. Think about people who need to know Jesus and know that this place is a place of love and not of hate. And when they come here, if we are loving them, if we are dining with them, if we are just sharing our heart with them, Jesus will handle the sin issues. Jesus will handle the conviction that needs to be there. Jesus will address that. But we, as Christians, need to walk together with them in grace. We need to have friends who are inside the church to build us up and encourage us. And we need to have friends that are outside of the church that we can love them the same way Christ loves them that we can have intimate relationships with people that they know God loves them. You know, this word intimacy is really kind of amazing. I once had a a counselor. I was in counseling, and and I was talking with this person, and I, I, I have a trouble with this. And he asked me, he said, Sam, do you know what intimacy means? And my honest thought was, yeah, it means a physical relationship. It means sexuality. It means like a husband and a wife. And he said, no. That's not what intimacy means. He says intimacy is where you can have a relationship, where you can be honest about your struggles, your hurts, your pains, your doubts, and there is no fear of rejection when you say it. That is what we should be as a church. Having relationships with friends, with brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can be completely open and completely intimate and completely fearless to know that this person will love us. So that when someone comes in the door, so that when your coworker says, I'm having a bad day, they don't fear judgment, they don't fear condescension, they don't fear shame. And if we can do this, it can open the door for Christ and the Holy Spirit to do amazing things. When these friends got around this paralytic guy and they lowered him into the roof and and they stood up for him and did something that was kind of scary and dangerous, not really knowing what Jesus might say, 
The result was verse 12 that the people had never seen anything like that before. How great would it be if based on our life and our testimony and our witness that this world had never seen the things God was doing through us before. And that's my prayer for us. That we as a church would have friends outside the church, friends inside the church, and we would be people who have intimate relationships that lead others to the healing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this story. Lord, I thank you so much for the beauty of Psalm 65, that you refresh and restore and renew. Lord, I thank you that you came to heal me. You came to heal someone who was sick and needed redemption. Lord, I pray that all of us in this room would acknowledge how much we need that. And Lord, as we move forward, give us the grace with people we don't understand to listen before we speak, to desire understanding before we judge. And God, give us grace. Lord, give us the courage to reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement, for strength. Lord, that this church, not just this church, but your church worldwide would be a place of safety and of love first and foremost. Lord, we know you will handle all the heavy lifting. Lord, we know you will handle forgiveness. You will handle all the theology, God. But now give us the strength to love and be gracious. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for calling Levi and thank you for forgiving him. God, be tender with us. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, At this time, musicians, if you guys want to come on up and uh, lead us in a few more songs.